and you're listening to a sermon from Bent Tree Church in Loveland, Colorado. For more information about Bent Tree, visit BentTreeChurch.com. Well, hey, brothers and sisters in Christ, welcome to church. Man, this is good to see you here. Man, I'm so excited to be back with you this morning. My name is Paul Trimble. I'm the senior pastor here. And Thank you to Pastor Frank for preaching last week and then Pastor Jeff preaching the couple of weeks before that. Let's give God a hand for those guys. Yeah, I mean, and thank you guys for letting me just take a couple of weeks off from preaching so I could just focus on some other areas of ministry, that being my family and specifically my wife. Uh, And some of you know, BB was diagnosed with breast cancer in May and has been undergoing treatment for that, and she's here this morning. We're just thankful for her, so she's doing well, and I want to thank you for all your prayers for her, for us. We love our church family. We do. She's continuing to heal and recover, and we're so thankful for God, for you. But I've been looking forward to being back in the pulpit preaching today as we get back on track with our series, The Gospel of John, titled, So That You May Believe. In fact, if you want to get your Bible out and go ahead uh, and turn uh, to John chapter 3, uh, just put a thumb there because we're going to start in a little bit different place, but most of our time is going to be there. But before we do, let's thank God for our country and the gift of freedom to gather and worship today, uh, to hear God's word uh, preached, happy Independence Day. Let's thank God for this day. Yeah. Thank you, God, for the freedom in Christ, amen, and our freedom as Americans, but the freedom in Christ that we have. You know, I'm always tempted on days like this to preach on the condition of our country and what I think uh, we should do to fix it. Many pastors do, not, not trying to knock them at all, but there's a, there's a realization that I came to several years ago is that you can go out and research and read good Christian books and listen to guys on like how to vote, how to be a good citizen, uh, and live your life in a way that protects your freedom, all of that. That's good stuff. I'm certainly thankful for Christians that will serve in our government at the local, state, and national levels. Those guys and girls, man, we're thankful for them. However, all of that stuff is downstream. means it doesn't change hearts. We have laws because mankind is sinful and we need to laws uh, because mankind's sinful, right? But laws don't change hearts. But Jesus does. Jesus does. Jesus is upstream. You know what I mean? His words change our hearts and save us. And although there are tons of places out there for you to get political advice and news, and there's just that not that many places to hear the Bible, Bible carefully and, and rightly taught. And so that's what we do. Even though today is, is July 4th, Independence Day, we're going to study God's word. We're going to study God's word. We need to learn how to be good citizens. But it is so vastly more important to know God's word and how to apply it to our hearts. And that makes the difference both in how we live here as citizens of this country, but then as we live as citizens of the eternal country. Amen. And it's the Bible, the word of God that will change your life through the power of the Holy Spirit working in it. Today we have some very special time after our service together. Uh, Going to have some fun, some things outside. I, I asked my buddies and friends with Jeeps to come uh, off-road. Uh, 
we've even got some tacos out there. That's Toyotas, by the way. You call them tacos. And we got some great off-road guys and girls there. So take a look at those things. Guys, thanks for bringing those. That's just cool, isn't it? I, I love that. And uh, I hope you'll stay and just hang out. I'll be out there uh, and, and would love to talk to you. Well, who wants to study God's Word today? Yeah, let's do this thing. Uh, before we do, let me let me do this. We... We have something very special. One of our, our um, worship members, our family team, Marlon, that's playing the drums this morning, became a U.S. citizen this year. Isn't that the coolest? Marlon, way to go, buddy. That's awesome. Well, let's pray and ask God's blessing. Thank you for our freedom. <laughs> Would you bow your head? Let's go ahead and get started. Heavenly Father, we thank you for that freedom. We thank you for Marlon becoming a U.S. citizen. But God, we know that we can come and approach you because you've just sent your son for us. We can approach your throne with confidence. And because of that, we approach as children and say, God, we want to learn who you are. God, we, as we celebrate our freedom as a nation, we want to thank you for that freedom. We know that freedom is from you. But God, that na- our nation is messed up. It's sinful and heading in the wrong direction on so many levels. Lord, our prayer is that you bring our nation back to you and we pray that you begin right here with us in John chapter 3. Make us into the people you want us to be. Help us to preach and teach the truth of your word. Help us to live our life according to your teachings, Jesus. May our lives as both individuals and a church family be just a beacon that would draw the hurting and the people that are far from you into into you, Jesus. The truth and grace of your word. Where people can find life in your teachings, God, my prayer right now is that you would help me be able to preach what you want me to preach today. Help me not to speak uh, what I want, but what you want. Help me to speak clearly with the power of your Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, help us to hear with spiritual ears, to see with spiritual eyes. Lord, change our hearts with your power. It's in the name of your, your Son, Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, let's do this thing. Go ahead and get your Bibles ready. Instead of starting, though, in John 3, I'm going to throw you a curve. Let's go to Exodus 34. That's the second book. Go all the way back to the front, Genesis, then Exodus chapter 34. You don't have to turn there, but I think you should. All right, this passage is often called the riddle of the Old Testament. See if you can figure this out. This passage is the most quoted passage in all of the Old Testament in full or in part. When God speaks to Moses, he is saying this about himself. Look at verse 6. The Lord, the Lord is compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger and abounding in faithful love and truth, maintaining faithful love to a thousand generations, forgiving iniquity, rebellion, and sin. And it's not too hard to buy into a God like that, right? Most people can accept and believe in that kind of God. But then look at the, as the verse continues, verse 7, there's something else God wants us to know. But he will not leave the guilty unpunished. 
bringing the consequences of their father's iniquity on the children and grandchildren to the third and fourth generation. What's the riddle here? What is it? The riddle? How can this verse, this passage, be describing one and the same God? I mean, when Moses heard God say this, he gets down on the ground, puts his face on the ground. He's just so humbled with what just God, God has just said to him. So do you see the conflict? Do you see the rub in this verse? Here it is. The first part says God forgives sinful people that don't deserve us. Listen to it again. The Lord is compassionate and a gracious God, slow to anger and abounding in faithful love and truth. Maintaining faithful love to a thousand generations. Look at this. Forgiving iniquity, rebellion, and sin. That's a loving God. He forgives guilty people. Amen? But then to say in the very next breath, but he will not leave the guilty unpunished. Bringing the consequences of the father's iniquity on the children and grandchildren to the third and fourth generation. He brings judgment on other people that are apparently not forgiven. So he forgives some and not others. What's up? How can that be the same God? And here's the question I want to know. How can I be on the forgiven list? Jesus answers this question in our main text today. If you can, stand up with me out of holy reverence for our God's word, I'll read our main passage to you. You listen carefully. Verse 1, chapter 3. There was a man from the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to him at night and said, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God. For no one could perform these signs you do unless God were with him. Jesus replied, truly I tell you, unless someone is born again... He cannot see the kingdom of God. How can anyone be born when he is old? Nicodemus asked him. Can he enter his mother's womb a second time and be born? Jesus answered, truly I tell you, unless someone is born of water and the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. Whatever is born of the flesh is flesh. And whatever is born of the spirit is spirit. Do not be amazed that I told you that you must be born again. The, bl- the wind blows where it pleases and you hear its sound, but you don't know where it comes from or where it is going. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. How can these things be, asked Nicodemus. Praise God for his written word given to us. Amen? You may be seated. Well, let's review for just a moment. This Nicodemus... It is part of this ruling religious governmental leader group called the Sanhedrin. These are the most powerful guys. And this guy is the top echelon of power even in that. I mean, he's powerful. He's rich. He's super well educated in both the Hebrew scriptures and in Greek philosophy, Greek thought. And he has tried to live his life by following Old Testament law to the very nth degree. But then he sees Jesus doing all of these miracles, all of these signs of preaching the way Jesus does. And old Nicodemus knows that he personally doesn't have all this riddle from Exodus we just read figured out. He knows he's not saved. Nicodemus goes to Jesus under the cover of night to ask the question, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher 
who has come from God, for no one else can perform these signs you do unless God were with him. And Jesus, he cuts right to the chase, and he makes this point. Look at verse 3. Jesus replied, truly I tell you, unless someone is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. It's an absolute statement. So Nicodemus says, how can anyone be born when he is old? Nicodemus asked him. Can he enter his mother's womb a second time and be born? Look what Nicodemus does here. This is interesting. Because he is spiritually blind and spiritually deaf, he tries to understand Jesus' statement through physical world understanding, what he knows. Now, we hit this hard last time. But it's worth saying again, why is Jesus telling Nicodemus Telling us, for that matter, unless someone is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Why do we have to be born again? The Apostle Paul tells us in Ephesians 2, 1. Listen close. And you were dead in your trespasses and sins. You're dead spiritually. Meaning we are all spiritually dead. Cut off from God like a cell phone without service, right? It's on, but it has no service. It has no function. We are spiritually dead, unable to respond to God. That is until we are regenerated, born again. Now think of the words born again. Jesus is using, this is not just an analogy. Jesus is telling us we must, what must happen to us to be saved from hell. Here's what we know. Write this down. Spiritual birth is something one undergoes, not something one can produce individually. Spiritual birth is something one undergoes, not something one can produce individually. Now what Jesus is teaching us here is that just as our efforts have nothing to do with our physical conception and birth, A spiritual birth is also not a work of ours, but of God's. Now, Nicodemus understands that Jesus is teaching him something. He just doesn't know what. So he responds with what Jesus is talking about. He says, how can anyone be born when he is old? He's inviting Jesus to teach him deeper, even though he doesn't understand what he's talking about. Jesus describes something that is impossible to Nicodemus. Or to say it more clearly, Jesus is... Is saying entrance into the kingdom of God, entrance into heaven, is contingent on something that could not be obtained through human effort. You with me? Just like you can't cause your own birth, it is a process outside your control or even your decision. Jesus is about to tell him that being saved from sin is is not a matter of adding something to what you're already doing, like being more religious, but but actually giving up and starting all over again. Now, no one wants to hear, give up, start again. Everything you've done up to this point is worthless. That's something we just don't like to hear. No one wants to say, hey, everything I've been doing for you, God, means absolutely nothing. Especially to a very religious guy like Nicodemus who has lived his whole life. He's an old man now. Religion and even Christianity so often becomes a thing we must decide we do instead of what has been done for us. 
But what Jesus is doing here is showing us this. We must admit our spiritual bankruptcy and abandon everything we trust to save us. Let that sink in. We must admit our spiritual bankruptcy and abandon everything we trust to save us. That takes us coming to the end of ourselves. Coming to the realization, I have no ability to save myself. That's the Apostle Paul's realization about his life before he met Christ Jesus. Paul, the Apostle, had been the most pious, most zealous Pharisee before Jesus meets him and knocks him off his donkey. He was, search, he was not searching for Jesus Christ. He was not searching for salvation. In fact, he was on his way to kill Christians. And Jesus stops him in the road. Look what Paul says. Philippians 3.8. He said, I also consider everything to be a loss in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. Because of him, I have suffered the loss of all things and considered them as dung. That's doo-doo, poo-poo. So that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own from the law, but one that is through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God based on faith. Now here's the thing I've noticed as people come to the end of themselves. They all share this one thing in common. They go, I can't save myself. I can't do it. I can't be good enough. I'm a sinner. I'm rotten. They realize the bleakness of their situation. They, they come to this sense of no hope continuing to go in the present manner because it just isn't working anymore, right? Sometimes that realization happens quickly. Like the Apostle Paul and Sometimes it happens slowly, like Nicodemus. And until that happens, people will not turn to Jesus as Savior and Lord until you get to the end of yourself. The ways people get to the end of themselves and trusting their own, man, the stories vary a great deal. The age varies a great deal. I mean, each one a unique story. We call them testimonies of how you heard the gospel and repented and turned to Jesus. But... The way that each individual comes to themselves can look quite different. But here's what I mean. Like Paul, he was not looking to be saved. He thought he was saved. He didn't think he needed to be saved until Jesus confronts him. And immediately Paul comes to the end of himself. Nicodemus, though, it takes a while before he comes to Jesus as Savior and Lord. He knows something's different. That's clear. But he does, it's not saved here. Or picture this, a child hears the gospel from his mom and dad and sees it lived out in his brothers' and sisters' lives, hears it taught each week from the pastor and in Sunday school, that child understands maybe the reality of hell and hears this message of Jesus' love for them and offer of salvation. That child turns to Jesus in this simple childlike faith that believing happens. That child sees the dark reality of his choice, face hell and judgment, Turn to Jesus. They're given faith to believe in that moment. Notice the child makes the decision to believe. But that comes from faith being given to the child from God. You with me? But what if the child never hears the gospel until they're older? 
Well, what if they simply don't believe in faith? They hear it, but they don't believe in faith. Take someone in their 20s, 30s, 40s, 50s, on up. They could be saved the same way the child is saved, but it, it could be that they try all the ways the world says they can find happiness first. Drugs, sex, marriage. They try to do things that are really good. Trying to fix this longing desire. I mean, they'll probably even try things that are bad, yes, but they'll try things that are good to fill that longing, that need. Things like, well, marriage, having children, having a home, being a stay-at-home mom, being a stay-at-home uh, dad, uh, being a successful career. But what happens is that eventually, everyone comes to realize that this stuff doesn't have any ability to fill their hearts. Now, not that everyone turns to Jesus, but everyone realizes this world does not deliver. They begin to realize that this life does not deliver on the promises of happiness and fulfillment. In either case, you see people trying to fill the hole they have in their heart because they are spiritually dead. They know they're missing something. They just don't know what it is. They try everything. But then they hear the gospel message that says, because of the sins of your, your life, you face eternal judgment. Listen to me. In hell, separated from God, separated from all others as payment for your sin. And they realize that time is running out for them. It kind of clicks. You think, man, death is approaching at some point in the future. It cannot be avoided. But if they hear the gospel message, that offer of God through the death and resurrection of Jesus to take their place and trade their sins for Jesus' righteousness, to not only avoid hell and eternal punishment, That offer given out of God's love is to pay the debt of their sin and then give them, the sinner, the status of being a child of God. Sometimes that that takes a few moments, sometimes a few years. I love hearing how people turn to Jesus. I do. I love their testimonies of how they were called to life by the Holy Spirit of God. They make a decision to follow Jesus as Savior and Lord. They become a Christian. Now here's what I want us to see here. Pay close attention. To a new believer in Christ Jesus, what it appears to them early on is that they made a decision to follow Jesus and they were saved. Because they certainly did make a decision, yes? Yes. But what we find as we study scripture carefully is that what really happened here is that although we made a decision to follow Christ Jesus as Savior and Lord, he loved us first by giving us faith to believe. That's what we have been studying the last few weeks. Well, when I was back preaching, Jesus made the first move, didn't he? Look at what Jesus tells us about our salvation. John 15, 16. This is Jesus. He says, you did not choose me, but I chose you. I appointed you to go and produce fruit and that your fruit should remain. So that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he will give you. Why? Because you're a son. You're a daughter. You go, no, 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 Jesus. I distinctly remember I chose you first. That's certainly what it feels like, doesn't it? 
It's just simply not true. Because spiritually dead people can't see to choose Jesus. They are spiritually blind, spiritually dead. Listen to how the apostle Peter describes followers of Jesus. Watch for this language. 1 Peter chapter 2 verse 9. But you are a what? Chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, so that you may proclaim the praises of the one who what? Called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Hmm. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. You had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Or listen to the apostle Paul when he tells us this in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 4. For he, what? Chose us in him. When? Before the foundation of the world to be holy and blameless in love before him. He predestined us to be adopted as sons through Jesus Christ for himself, according to the good pleasure of whose will? His. His. His will. Here's what I want you to get down in the heart of hearts of who you are. People do choose Jesus to be their Lord and Savior, but they do that because they have been born again, regenerated by the Holy Spirit of God. You tracking? You with me? They have been given that faith, and through that faith, they have believed in Jesus, and grace has been delivered to them through that faith that has been given to them. We chose Jesus because he first chose us. He loved us first before we loved him. Now, let's go back to John 3. Jesus says in verse 3, you must be born again or you cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus says, how can I climb back into my mother's womb, be born a second time? John 3, 5, look in verse 5. Jesus answered, truly I tell you, unless someone is born of water and the Spirit, notice the capital S, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. What's Jesus talking about here? Being born of water and the Spirit? Well, some think that Jesus is talking about two different births here. Like we're physically born, we're born from the amniotic fluid in a mama's tummy in the womb, and the second birth is from the Spirit of God, talking about what we've just been talking about. I believe that for a long time. But the problem with that view is that our physical birth is never described that way in Scripture. Indeed, people in that time didn't even think of it that way or use any terminology similar. Others have said, no, no, no. What Jesus is talking about here is being born first through baptism. That leads to being born spiritually. Like the physical act of a person being immersed under the water that John the Baptist was performing at that time. Sometimes people with this view try to explain water baptism as kind of an instrumental part of your salvation. And we know that's wrong. Jesus saves, not the water. The problem with that view is Nicodemus would not have understood what Jesus was saying if that was the case. What we think of Christian baptism, like what we do here regularly, it didn't exist yet. For them. And if people needed to be baptized to be born again, Jesus wouldn't have hesitated to say that. 
And I don't think Jesus is talking about ceremonial cleansing of your hands or washing pots and cleansing your house. So if the water Jesus is talking about is not being born physically or baptism or ceremonial cleansing, what is it talking about? Well, we need to put ourselves in the sandals of Nicodemus who knew the Hebrew scripture than anyone else alive at that point other than Jesus. Remember, Nicodemus holds the title teacher of Israel. He's the top dog. Jesus is telling Nicodemus something that is very familiar to him. Here's what I think it means. Water and spirit in the Hebrew scriptures, the Old Testament, often refers symbolically to spiritual renewal and cleansing when it says water. Think of it this way. The born again have been cleansed and filled by the spirit of God. Write that down. The born again or the regenerated have been cleansed and filled by the spirit of God. In a wonderful passage in the Old Testament, God speaks to the people of Israel through the prophet Ezekiel. What makes this passage so cool is that his people, the Hebrews, the Jews, were at this time in history dispersed among all these different countries and land because they were sinful. They were slaves again because of their sin. The Jews were physically living in different places, not Israel. They had been carried off to those lands of sl- in slavery because of their sin. But then God says to his people, listen to this, Ezekiel 36, 24, For I will take you from the nations and gather you from all the countries and will bring you into your own land. I will also, look at this, sprinkle clean water on you. And you will be clean. I will cleanse you from all your impurities and all your idols. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you. I will remove your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. I will place my spirit within you and cause you to follow my statutes and carefully observe my ordinances. Do you see it? Do you see it? God calls his own people out of the nations, out of bondage that they're in because of their sin. God washes them with water and then he places his spirit within them. He gives them a new heart. This is all God. And notice the language God uses here. I will take you from captivity. I will sprinkle you with water. I will cleanse you. I will remove your old heart of stone. I will give you a new heart of flesh. I will place my spirit within you. I will cause you to follow my ordinances. God says, I will. I will. I will. I will. I will. Notice that God doesn't tell his people, well, if you do this, I'll consider doing that. No, this is simply a sovereign act of God to save his people. Now, remember, Jesus is pointing out to Nicodemus that this is what is happening in the process of being born again. The regeneration is God's work and not us. This is, again, a picture of what we saw last time when we were together, when we talked about monergism. This is it. God says, I will. What Jesus is saying is that there is a spiritual washing of the soul, the core of us, the eternal part of us that can only be accomplished by the Holy Spirit through the Word of God. The Apostle Paul tells us this in verse 5 of Titus 3. He, Jesus, saved us, not by works of righteousness that 
we had done, but according to his mercy, through the washing of regeneration and renewal by the Holy Spirit, he poured out his spirit on us abundantly through Jesus as our Savior. You see that pour like the washing? So that having been justified by his grace, we may become heirs with the hope of eternal life. Or how about this verse? You'll remember the Apostle Paul is telling the Ephesian church what marriage represents. He says, look in 525. He says this, husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her. To make her holy, look at this, cleansing her with the washing of water by the word. He did this to present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or anything like that, but the holy and but holy and blameless. It is Jesus' death that purchases our freedom. And Jesus washes his bride, the church, with the washing of the water of the word. Okay, back to Nicodemus. Jesus tells him to be born again means to be born of both the water and the washing of the word of God. And that is done through the Holy Spirit. It really brings back into focus what back in chapter 1. Do you remember John the baptizer when he baptizes Jesus? In verse 33 of chapter 1, he says, he is the one, though, that will baptize with the Holy Spirit. That's what he's talking about here. This is what the baptizer is, is meaning right here, what we're studying. So Jesus says that in verse 5, but then check out verse 6. Whoever is born of the flesh is what? Flesh. And whoever is born of the Spirit, capital S, Spirit of God, is Spirit. This goes all the way back to the fall of mankind. In Genesis chapter 3, when Adam sins and mankind fell along with all of creation, including you. From that point on, every generation of mankind born to woman would be dead spiritually, unable to respond to God. Flesh is born of flesh. It just keeps producing the next generation of little rascals, right? People that are far. That's the only thing it can produce. Far from God. But what is born of spirit has come from God. Through the coming of Jesus into the world to live the holy life we could not live and to die and pay the price of our own sin. It is through that death and resurrection of Jesus that restores our access to God. But let's be clear. It's done by God calling us from spiritual death into spiritual life. I say calling us out of death, but even more, that's that God's spirit is drawing us. You could even say dragging us, like you drag a, a dead body. Dragging us out of a grave, right? He's bringing us into new life. And we describe that new life as being born again, regenerated. It's at that point, I think, that Nicodemus must be letting his mouth just kind of hang open like. The Bible didn't say that. I just kind of think that's the case. What it does say in verse 7 is this. Jesus says, do not be amazed that I told you that you must be born again. Jesus can see Nicodemus' face in the firelight. But more importantly, Jesus can see right through to his heart. He can see the condition of Nicodemus' heart. 
Old Nick is floored with this answer to finding his way to God. It's nothing like he had thought it would be. He realizes that it fits so perfectly into God's word, but it's nothing that he had ever thought about. Nicodemus has always thought, it's about me getting to God. But Jesus says, no, it's about God getting to you, coming to save you. It's about the shepherd coming to find the sheep, not about the sheep trying to wander around going, where's the shepherd at? Jesus gives Nicodemus an analogy in verse 8. He says this, the wind blows where it pleases and you hear its sound, but you don't know where it comes from. Or where it is going. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. Scientists think they understand how wind is generated. But still they, they've never observed it. It's unobservable. It just happens. The wind. Do you see how this analogy works with salvation? Of being born again? We can see the effects of the wind. But we cannot see the wind. We can see what the wind carries. But we cannot see the wind itself. Jesus is saying, being born again is like that. We can see the effects of regeneration when someone is saved, being born again, but we cannot see the Spirit of God who comes and makes that happen. What Jesus is showing us in this conversation with Nicodemus is that it was critical for Nicodemus to get over his astonishment at being wrong about how one is accepted into the kingdom of God. At the end of the day, if Nicodemus was to ever be saved to enter the kingdom of God, you had to understand, he had to understand that he could never get into the kingdom based on how good he was. It must be an alien righteousness, a righteousness from outside of himself, the righteousness of Christ Jesus. It had to be God alone that drew him from death into life, that brings him into the kingdom. Nick doesn't get it yet. He he, li- he will later on, we think, but not here yet, not yet. Because he says this in verse 9, he says, how can these things be, asked Nicodemus. He hadn't come to the end of himself. Maybe you haven't either. Jesus' answer for Nicodemus, although he's almost there, he's not quite come to the end of himself. Nick could still not accept what he was hearing, that I'm not good enough on my own. He could not let his system of how to get to God, how he must be saved, be challenged. We'll leave this conversation there today. Come back next week. You have to. Have to. Who said, God, maybe this is you too. If you've claimed to be a Christian in the past, as you've heard these words today, have they shaken you, the words from Jesus? Have you been born again, regenerated by the Holy Spirit of God, called from death into life? Or are you like Nicodemus, thinking, I'll get to God by the way I live, on my own, someday? For those of you who are not Christians or you're not sure if you are a Christian, would you just hear me out for just a minute? Let me give you a way to think about what this means. Picture a jeweler. In a jewelry store. Get the picture? Glass countertops. He's got diamonds to sell. He doesn't just throw the diamonds out on the counter, does he? And say, hey, what do you think of these babies? No, I mean, the jeweler first takes a big piece of black velvet. 
carefully lays it all out, smooths it out, jet black. Then he carefully lays out the diamonds on the velvet so that you can see the true light and the color of each individual diamond. They're white. They catch the light. They gleam on that black background. It's the blackness of the velvet that sets off the contrast of the brightness of the diamonds. Do you have that picture in your mind? Let me lay out some black velvet for you. Let me be a jeweler. Your sin has sentenced you to judgment. Hell. You are guilty of the sins you've committed. I don't have to convince you of that. You know it. Don't try to compare yourself to other people that you think, well, I'm not as bad as them. And therefore your sin is not as bad. I mean, certainly there are sins that do more damage on this earth than others. But the truth is any sin, any trespass against a holy and perfect God has the same ultimate sentence, hell. Conscious punishment for all eternity. And you go, Paul, do you really believe that? Yeah, because Jesus talked about it. More than anyone else, Jesus Christ. Hell, where Jesus himself said, check this out, where the flame is not quenched and the worm does not die. Now, maybe you don't think that hell is a real, real thing, a consequence that you face at your death. Maybe, maybe you think, maybe you think that you just become dust. But is it your consciousness right now arguing against that? The reason I lay this black velvet out for you of this judgment that you face is pretty simple. Judgment from God and hell are the reality that is in your future according to Jesus Christ. Think about that. All the people that have ever heard that try to tell you that no, hell's not a big deal. It's not a, it's just a metaphor. It's not, have you ever noticed they're all trying to sell you something? They're trying to get you to go the way they're going. Oh, it's not real. Come on, do this with me. Let me ask you. Does the weight of your sin weigh heavy on you? I mean, the guilt of your sin. Are you guilty? Is the blackness of your fate and the punishment of hell a real threat to you? Are you worried about it? It's reality. Talk about a black velvet. So what's the bright diamond that we lay right at the center or the the bright diamond that we lay at the center of that black velvet? The gospel message. The fact that Jesus, the Son of God, come to earth fully God and yet fully man, he faced every temptation that you and I face and yet never sinned. Why that's important is that set him in a position to take a place as a substitute for you. Since he never sinned, he could take your place and pay the price of hell for the sins you committed. And in turn, he could take the righteousness that he earned living this perfect sinless life on earth with all the temptation, all that righteousness, and check this out, he could give it to you. It's not just that Jesus pays your sins that you're sorry for. Not just sins in your past, sins that you've long forgotten that you're guilty of. 
sins even in the future. What does Jesus take all your sins? What does he do with them? He nails them to the cross. He kills your sin. He sacrifices himself. Listen again to the words of Jesus as if he were speaking directly to you. Because he is speaking to you through his Holy Spirit. Truly I tell you, unless someone is born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. Whatever is born of the flesh is flesh. Whatever is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not be amazed that I told you you must be born again. The wind blows where it pleases and you hear its sound, but you don't know where it comes from or where it is going. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. Will you respond to Jesus? Do you believe that Jesus is the Son of God? Do you believe that He has come to shed His blood on the cross to pay for your sins, all of them? Then, my friend, you have been given faith by God. You have been born again. Just to believe, that's it. Regenerated by the Holy Spirit of God made right if you feel the weight of your sin in the light of Jesus' offer of salvation forgiveness then repent of your sin now your repentance doesn't save you faith saves you grace saves you because your sins have been dealt with by the blood of Jesus at the cross feel the weight of your sin being lifted off of you Jesus paid the price if you believe Jesus has now imputed his righteousness into your life. When God looks at you, he sees the righteousness of Jesus, not your messed up sinful life anymore. You have been justified before God. Your sins have been forgiven, past, present, future sins even. You cannot lose your salvation because you didn't earn it in the first place. He has woken you from the dead. And now you have been made alive spiritually in Christ Jesus through the Holy Spirit of God working through you. You are a child of God. Now listen, if you have the nature of Christ Jesus, now if you've been regenerated, God's Holy Spirit is within you. You have been made new. The Holy Spirit has come into your life to live and to help you understand what God says. But your old life, that's what we call the old you before Christ, says come back. Sin again. But here's the thing now, sin will no longer taste as good to you. It may sound good, but it won't feel as good. It won't be satisfying. So when you are tempted, when you even sin as a Christian, know that the temptation is simply your old sinful life trying to throw you off track. When that happens, simply run to Jesus and his word. Run to church, your brothers and sisters. You're still forgiven, but your life from now on until you die, when Jesus returns to take you home, will be a daily battle of you repenting, sometimes hourly. Of messing up and then getting back on course. You don't lose your salvation. You're still his child. Take just a moment to thank God for your salvation. Calling to this new life. Maybe you show God 
show yourself, show the church that what has happened in you by being baptized if you've never done that. Stand with Jesus. Mark your decision. Let's pray together. Would you bow your head? Take just a moment to talk to God. That's that's what prayer is, simply talking to God. I'll pray and you can just agree with me or, or put it in your own words and thoughts as you talk to God. Father, I come to you in the name of Jesus Christ, your son. I believe Jesus is your son and I believe that you have sent him to come and live and die to pay for my sins. God, I believe that you raised Jesus from the dead after three days in the grave, thus proving Jesus is God and has the power over sin and death. So God, I repent of my sins. I turn from them and turn the leadership of my life to you, Jesus. Help me to follow you, Jesus, with the way I live. Help me to obey your words in the Bible. Show me how to grow up into the person you want me to be. Help me to become the person that shares your love with the world where I live. God, thank you for loving me and calling me out of death and into life. I love you, God. It is in the name of Jesus Christ I mean these things and believe. Amen. Thanks for listening to this sermon from Bentry Church. To get connected at Bentry and for more information, please visit BentryChurch.com.